Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we're now on our fifth year, but it's true. And it's only because of you, the listeners. And if you'd like to see us stick around for another five years, there are a few simple things that you can do that would really, really help us out. And I would be endlessly appreciative. Number one, share our episodes with your friends. If you get something out of these episodes, I'm sure they will too. So please share us with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and our guests too. My Instagram is at audio, And let me just let you know that we love seeing ourselves tagged in these posts. Who knows? We might even respond. And number three, leave us reviews and five stars, please, anywhere you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, I want to thank you all for the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never ever charge you for this podcast and i will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way possible all i ask in return is a share post and a tag now let's get on with it hello everybody my guest today is zach servini who was actually on twice in our first year but in the past five years he has come a long way he's basically worked his way up from writing and producing for new england hardcore and punk acts to being the right hand man of john feldman to then moving out on his own and working with industry giants such as blink 182 poppy architects young blood bring me the horizon and a ton more i present you zach servini zach servini welcome back to the urm podcast hello thank you so much for having me how you doing doing great man it's been a busy five years hasn't it has it been five years since i've been here it's been five years. You came on in 2015. Wow, that's crazy. That is quick. Yes, it has been a busy five years. It has been a very busy five years. Yeah, a lot has happened in the past couple of years, but feels good to be back. I'm stoked. Well, thank you for coming back. And uh, I love seeing when people that I've known for a while have a great trajectory, which I, I never really doubted in your case, but it's just cool to see it kind of coming to fruition after all the different things you've done and been through. Oh man, I, I appreciate that. It's crazy to hear you say that because to me, I, I don't feel any different. Like I still feel exactly the same as I felt five years ago or 10 years ago. Like I of still, course. yeah, I still feel like the exact same as when I was like making records in my parents' basement. Like that, you know, I, I am a little like, I certainly am like busier than I've ever been, but like I am definitely, I'm definitely like happier than I was five years ago. Like I'll say that much, but yeah, like in terms of the way that like, I guess it's just cause I do it every day, but it doesn't personally feel to me like I'm a different person than I was five years ago. Like I still feel kind of the exact same, which is kind of weird. So yeah, it's funny. It's funny to hear people say stuff like that, but um, I appreciate that. So thank you. <laughs> I understand the feeling, man. I kind of don't think that uh, your external world changes much about you. Like the only way to really, if you want to change something, you have to do it on your own. But I don't think that external circumstance changing is going to make you feel differently. Yeah, you're 100% right. I go into every single project and everything that I work on, it still is with the same goal, which is the fact that I love music. I love working on music. I love writing music, mixing music, producing music, and I love helping artists make the best music that they possibly can. And that's kind of been what's been driving me to do this since I started. And that 
the way I feel about music and helping people make music just hasn't really ever changed. Like I've just have always loved it so much. So I guess that's why it that's why it feels the same. Do you uh, get phased at all when you're working with a huge artist or is it just you're doing your thing like always? No, I don't. That's probably why it's working out. Yeah. Sometimes once in a while there can be something big that I work on that is that can be a little bit intimidating or a little bit scary. But 20 minutes into doing it, it just turns into this is the same thing and this is doing what I do, you know? So, yeah, honestly, I look forward to working with like the people that might be big or scary, like like the bigger artists that I work with generally is an easier, more fun process for me. So I really look forward to stuff like that. Why do you think that is? It comes down to a couple of things. So so during this quarantine, it's been pretty interesting. I've gotten to make records with a few bands that I'm a huge fan of that that do pretty well. And it's been I've been able to see very clearly why they are as successful as they are. Two two examples of that are Bring Me the Horizon and Architects. So those mixes sound great, by the way. Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. I feel super honored to work with both those bands and they're so amazing at what they do. And both of those bands, everything is in-house and they produce themselves entirely. They write and produce and in cases they even, you know, direct their own music videos and do their own photo shoots and stuff like that. So they're basically are entirely self-sufficient when it comes to making music and producing it on an A plus level. And the fact that they are able to do that just makes them unstoppable to anyone because we're in this quarantine and there's all these artists that want to get in the studio and that want to make music, but bring me an architect's they're not beholden to anyone else. They can just do it on their own and they can spend as much time on it as they want to. And yeah, they they can just, they can do their own thing and it makes them unstoppable. And so it's really cool. Like when they send it to me, it already sounds like amazing and they already have very clear defined visions of where they want it to go. And I think that stuff just really inspires me, the fact that they're able to do that. So yeah, and it makes it, makes it so much easier to work on because there's less people that you have to deal with. And they're just amazing bands that make amazing music that have very clear visions. So that's kind of everything that you can ask for. Man, you know, when the home recording thing started to pick up how a lot of mixers and producers were very against the idea of musicians starting to record themselves and getting into it. I think mainly because they were afraid that it was going to take their work away, but I, I never thought it was a bad thing. I thought it was going to lead to situations like this, where it's like the best of all worlds in a way, because the producer doesn't have to get involved in things that they don't have to be involved in. I guess not every artist has that kind of vision though. Yeah, it's certainly, it doesn't work for every single band. It's just really cool for me to see certain bands that it does work for. That's what inspires me. But again, yeah, it doesn't work for every band. Like not every band has someone in the band that knows a DAW and knows how to tune vocals and knows how to do all the kind of engineering stuff while simultaneously being able to write hit songs and come up with like amazing song arrangement ideas and kind of do all of that like it's just not not every band is going to have that and that's completely fine that's okay it's just really cool to see bands that do have that in this day and age it, it's it inspires me it definitely puts them a step ahead in lots of ways yes exactly exactly agreed because they don't have to wait for months 
to get in the studio with some producer. Like they don't have to wait to do songwriting sessions. They can just do it on their own time when they want and they can spend more time on it than any producer in the world would ever be able to spend on it because it's all them and it's all on their schedule. You know, I think one of the biggest problems with the music industry traditionally has been how long everything takes. Having to wait for things uh, and also having too many people relying on too many other people for things that they could just do themselves. Yes. And I think that the modern, the, like the modern artist, the modern engineer, the just modern everything is to do as much as you can in house. I think that's kind of the way things are going and people who have figured it out are going to do really well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Another cool thing with working with those bands in general is that there's certain bands where you work with and the mixed notes can be a little ambiguous. It can be like something something in the pre-chorus doesn't feel right. And I'm like And you just have to guess what it is. Yeah, it doesn't that doesn't really tell me anything, but I'm willing I'm willing to spend time on it and try different things, but I don't exactly know what that is. Whereas with architects their guitar player Josh was like, I don't like the guitar tone, so here's a stem. I re-recorded all the guitars and bounced them down to a single stem and just drop it in, and that's what I want. And I was like, sick. That's amazing. Like that's awesome. incredible. <laughs> that's literally is like a dream scenario. And so it it kind of was like that with both of those bands, where it would be like we don't like this vocal, the way the vocal sounds in the chorus. So here's a new performance of the chorus and just fly it in. You know, it was, it was kind of a lot of notes like that, which was awesome because I don't get that. I don't get that every day. So it was really cool. It's just so interesting about that. Cause I'm thinking about times where I've seen other mixers get really mad about that sort of thing. And, uh, almost like, why are they insulting my guitar tone? Kind of kind of vibes whereas you've got the complete opposite attitude like anything to make it better which i think is the attitude you should have mm -hmm. yeah mixed notes never again it depends on the situation but i am always willing to do whatever it takes to make everyone happy as long as everyone's cool about it but i kind of look at mixing more as a collaboration i guess because when when i do the first mix i'm kind of the band is coming to me because they're trusting that I'm going to be able to execute the vision that they have in their heads. But to a point, and, and maybe they like my taste and the way I do certain things, but to a point, it's kind of guessing a little bit. So it's like the better, the better the rough mix is, is, is usually good because if I can, if it's a good rough mix, then I can kind of just find ways to improve upon that. And that, that way I know that I'm still keeping the band's vision intact while making it better, I think. But to an extent, yeah, I'm kind of guessing if I if I go out and take risks and, you know, put a certain effect on a vocal or pan a guitar a certain way or something, it's something that I think is cool, but I don't know if the band's going to like it because they're not with me the whole time. So I look at it as a as a collaboration. And if, you know, mixed notes, they don't really, they don't phase me. I, I, I enjoy it as long as everyone's cool because I think it ultimately usually yields a better product. Has it ever phased you or have you just naturally been cool with it? It's just about getting your ego out of the way. When I was coming up, if someone said that they didn't like my mix or whatever, yeah, it hurt me. But now I'm these 
kind of years down the road and I've just I've I've worked with artists. I've been able to see how artists brains work kind of in certain ways and stuff. And I try to open a dialogue with artists before I mix or work on their songs just to make sure that we kind of already are on the same page. And that being said, if I mix the song and they don't like it and want to go with someone else, that doesn't that doesn't really hurt my feelings either because I know that I did the best job that I could and I'm just am not the right person for the job and that's okay. It's probably better that they just go with someone else than have to live with something they're not happy with and then put that into the world. Yes. And tell people that they're not happy with it. Yes, 100%. To an extent, because you can change songs out on DSPs and stuff nowadays, but when you put music out into the world, it kind of will always exist in some form or another forever. So I try to keep that in mind that, yeah, I work with a ton of artists and I make a ton of songs and work on a ton of songs, but each of each specific artist that I work with, that is their, their songs are their hard work and, and their art and like the culmination. They've just, they've worked so hard on everything that they've done. So I just try to keep in mind that it's forever for them. And that's, that's another reason that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it whatever they want it to be, because it's, it's their thing that's going to live on forever. Do you find also that the bigger artists since they've done it a few times and they're seasoned, the kind of notes and ideas and direction you get back from them is less stupid. 100%. So it does make sense that it's going to be easier for like a bigger artist that has had successful records that has kind of established their sound to an extent. It's going to be a little easier for them to know what they want versus a developing band that maybe hasn't quite figured out their sound yet because they're still shooting in the dark a little bit more. So yeah, to that extent, it's easier. When I'm working with bigger artists that know what they're going for and know that no exactly what kind of record that they want to make then yeah that makes sense why it's going to be easier versus like a baby band they might they might not know exactly what they're doing they might not have experience in the studio they might not have ever had their songs mixed before so yeah it depends do you feel like uh, with baby bands often you need to define the vision for them a little more Yes, I do. And I do enjoy doing that stuff. It's just, it's such a commitment to take on. So at the moment, I haven't been taking on that kind of stuff. I, I will I will do that more in years to come. But at the moment, I've really been enjoying working with more established acts because I just, I, I've, I just love doing it. And I just haven't really had the time to develop a baby band i'm looking forward to doing that again someday but i just i haven't been doing too much of that lately because it's 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 a lot to take on you can't do too many of them at once because you really got to put you know your heart and soul into everything and it's yeah it's a it's a lot of work it really really is do you think that uh your experience is working under some pretty impressive demanding people like will and feldman got you ready for the pressure of what you're doing now? Absolutely, 100%. I learned so much from the people. So yeah, I worked under Machine for a while. I worked under Will Putney for a while. And yeah, I worked under John Feldman for a while. And I learned all of those producers are so different and have such different skill sets. But so demanding. Yes, extremely demanding. Very, very high standards and 
also have very different tastes and very different skill sets. So yeah, it definitely helped a lot. My biggest thing is that I will outwork anyone. Like I will outwork you. Like I don't care who you are. I will work harder than you and I will work more hours than you if I have to. And that that can be unhealthy sometimes, but that's that's just kind of is the way that I am. It's kind of the price you pay. Yeah. But yeah, so working under those producers, it, it was so demanding at times that when I stopped doing that and started doing my own thing, to an extent, it was kind of like, okay, I'll never have to work that hard again, is what I thought. And now and now it's it now I do I do kind of work harder and more hours now, but how is that possible? <laughs> I'm like I'm I'm more on my own schedule now and you know I have like I have a great team I have a great management team and business management team and everything behind me but I run my own business and I don't have a full-time assistant or a full-time person working for me so as the years go on the more projects that I do and the bigger bands that I work with since I'm I'm kind of a one-man show to an extent it can just get to be a lot. You know, there's like many years of like, can you send those stems from five years ago? Can you send like the instrumental from whenever and stuff? And like that kind of stuff like that happens every single day. Why are you a one-man show? To this point, honestly, I've only been doing my own thing right now for about three years or so. And so I I do hire on assistance from project to project. And I'm starting to do that a lot more in the past six months than I have. Honestly, for the first two years, it was just because I was able to handle everything completely on my own. And yeah, I had to work a lot, but I was kind of okay with it. And it was, I was fine saving the money and like doing it by myself. But now like as I'm growing up and I'm taken on more work than I've ever done and the expectations keep getting higher and higher. There's just certain tasks where I it makes way more sense to pay to outsource them to someone. Um so yeah, I'm working I'm working towards hiring someone full on, but I just haven't gotten there yet, honestly. And I remember when you were working for Feldman, you told me that the work days were like 16, 17, 18 hours long. Yeah. So what, are you working 19 or 20 or 21 <laughs> hours now? Do you sleep? Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, so I this quarantine has forced me to completely switch up the way I work in a way that I love. So I have this awesome studio in North Hollywood that's owned by my management. That's like my home base. But when quarantine started, the studio shut down and no one could go there for like a couple months. So... That's so, you know, I had to like take my computer home and take my whole setup home and I live in an apartment, so I can't really be blasting music. So I was like, okay, this this is an experiment. I got to learn how to mix and work on music differently. So I took a month or two and developed some techniques and learned how to do everything that I do on headphones and have gotten actually like better results than I've ever gotten before. So I kind of love that. But I basically just bought a laptop, made my setup like as small, condensed in the box as possible. And so now I'm able to work at home way more and just get a lot more done at home and not have to go to the studio every day or all the time, which has been awesome because it's really convenient. So it's just 
my work schedule can be really crazy because I work with a lot of bands from, you know, I got projects going on in England, Japan, Australia, like kind of all over the globe and everyone's time zone is all over the place. So I usually wake up around 6.30 or 6.45 and I'll usually will have like a bunch of texts or emails or things that need to get done. So I'll just get, I'll just literally wake up, walk over to my, like brush my teeth, walk over to my desk, knock these tasks out real quick go work out, go eat breakfast and then just come back. And then I just go. And like, it's like, yeah, I'll take a, I'll take a break to eat dinner or something at some point. But I kind of, I kind of never really turn off because my setup is right there. So I'm kind of, I'm always doing something much to my girlfriend's dismay. (laughs) I was about to ask how she feels about it. Yeah. On a serious note, it's like, just to be real with you, like I've been in LA, I think eight or nine years at this point. And has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's, so it's been almost 10 years that I've been in LA and I've realized that I really have not like, I love to work so much is the thing that I have not like enjoyed like quote living in LA barely at all really for the last like almost 10 years which is kind of like a crazy thing to think about so that's another reason that I'm trying to outsource some more of my work and just going into 2021 just be a little smarter about be you know a little more picky about projects because I love everything anyone that comes to me with anything like I I want to do it and then my managers have to sometimes talk me out of like <laughs> you you don't you don't have time to do this because I just I love everything so yeah so th- so the past couple of years you know I've just like have said yes to everything just try to do as much as possible because I love it but yeah going into 2021 I'm making a very conscious effort to try and find a little bit more of a balance between living life and working which is hard because I just, I, my, my hobby turned into my career, you know, we all know it. So it's like, this is what I love to do. So, yeah. I feel like for successful artists or producers, entrepreneurs, like anybody who basically develops their career out of their own thing that they kind of created from scratch, I feel like balance is something they're always looking for, but I'm not, I'm not so sure that it's ever going to be hundred percent possible though. I don't think that you should stop trying because uh, it's always good to try. Yeah. It's almost like since you're not working for someone else, it's your own business, mm-hmm. you know that if you stop working, the wheels stop turning, basically. Exactly. You know, that's a part of it too. It's like, yeah, when I'm not doing something, sometimes I feel, yeah, I just, I, I know I could be doing something. So that makes me want to do something, you know? Yeah, it's it's a it's a hard thing. And yeah, I I know I know I'm not going to find like the perfect balance and that's okay. Well, if you if you do let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize how much having an assistant or or how much like outsourcing like making drum midi, how much time and energy that could really save me versus like what it would cost me and I've I've been having someone do that for the past 6 months and I pay them like decently well, but it has really saved me like a lot of time and has really helped me out. So yeah, I'm trying to find more ways to do stuff like that. Again, the the pandemic made it hard as well because there was just a long time that I couldn't really see people in person and maybe like 
teach them things that I would want to teach them the correct way or something. Do you feel like the whole don't mix in headphones thing is a myth? A hundred percent. I feel like this pandemic is kind of showing that. Yeah. So I figured out a way to reference mixes and mix in headphones that will I'm still kind of like perfecting the system, but I I took like a week when this pandemic thing started back in March to to figure out like how am I gonna do this because I I never really mixed in headphones my entire life and I re- I remember when I was when I was working for Will Putney this must have been back in like 2010 or 2011 I remember him telling me he did this when I was there he mixed this. Amity Affliction record in like three or four days, like in his headphones, like in his bedroom or something. And like it came and he like never heard it on a pair. Of it was in a hotel room. In a hotel was, room. Yeah. 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 And, it, and like he like never heard it on a pair of speakers. And then like it came out and it was like one of his like most successful records. And I was like, okay, so it is possible. I personally, so first of all, whatever you mix on, it's it's a reference. So the biggest thing that matters is that you know what you're mixing on. A lot of, a lot of people just happen to, to know studio monitors. That's, that's what they know. That's like the, the best thing that they know. But as, as long as you can hear a decent amount of frequencies and, and just know how something is supposed to sound on a given source, that's it. That's kind of it. And headphones are getting so good. Like my laptop, I probably bought it six months ago and the speakers out of it, like the bass response is like incredible. And I'm like, I'm like, think about laptops from like 10 years ago. Like it sounded like, like so like mid rangey with like no high end and no low end. What kind of laptop? Um, It's a MacBook Pro. Okay. One of the new ones. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like the new like banging like MacBook Pro. Okay, because I just bought one and it arrives in two weeks and I was looking at the description and it was talking about the speakers like ha- being like full frequency. And I was like, really? Yeah. Laptop <laughs> speakers? Yeah, they sound like, you know, I wouldn't like listen to music on them all the time. But yeah, they like it sounds great. I was like, wow. And then my roommate that I lived with for a super long time, he produces exclusively Japanese EDM music and he's like really incredible but he doesn't even own a pair of monitors he's never owned a pair of monitors he doesn't even own an interface and he'd be on Ableton just on his laptop just like on headphones just making these like crazy sounding EDM songs and yeah so yeah over the years you know I just saw certain people working on different systems I actually I worked with Skrillex for a little bit like we became friends through um through Matt Good for a little bit and so we we did a couple things together and he again same thing he would just mainly work off his laptop like on headphones or off his laptop speakers or no something bullshit, and, just right to it yeah <laughs> and he has he has like the best sounding stuff like ever like his stuff sounds insane so i was like okay yeah it is possible so i made a point to just learn my headphones and just learn like my sennheiser hd 600 headphones like what stuff sounds like on them and then i just had a pair of apple earbuds laying around i was like these things they're like old ones and i was like they sound pretty bad but if i put them on then i can kind of pinpoint like the harsh frequencies in a in a mix like the harsh mid-range of like a kick drum attack or like the harsh part of a vocal or a guitar and i can also tell balance really good on them as well so just between those two kind of things i kind of figured out how to mix on headphones and it's the best the the best thing i've ever done 
you just said that headphones are getting way better. Yeah. Do you think that's part of it? Like, whereas maybe five, 10 years ago, we didn't have such good options? I think so. I mean, AirPods are amazing. Like, I, I use AirPods every day at the gym and I check every mix that I do. I don't mix on the AirPods, but I'm sure that I could and I'm sure that I would love it. But they just, they sound so good that I honestly just love mixing a song on something that sounds kind of worse and then listening to it on my AirPods because it just sounds way better and like makes me feel better about myself. It makes <laughs> me feel like I don't suck. But yeah, like I just bought the AirPod Pros too. I haven't tried those out yet, but I've heard that they're even better. Again, it's when I listen to AirPods, I can hear everything that I need to hear. I can hear the low end. I can hear the high end. I can hear clarity. I can hear punch. I can hear it all. I don't see what's the difference between them and like some studio monitor. And the other thing that I love is that you can you can take them anywhere and they'll be the exact same. Like you don't need to build out a giant room and like spec it out. That's the beauty. I'm using these in-ears uh, from Empire Ears. Nice. Uh, that sound pretty amazing. I mean, their big selling point is that it sounds the same everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not only does it sound accurate, but it's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm very big on that. That's a that's a big reason that that I made the effort to like buy a nice laptop and stuff and have my setup be so portable because there's all these artists that I work with. There's a lot of like young kids that I work with that just expect stuff really quickly or they're like, "Oh, like come over right now and like let's do this." And I just wanted I just wanted my setup to be the exact same as it could be anywhere like for instance like so this band all time low that i've worked a lot with this actually is a really cool story so they've been a band for i think 16 years at this point yeah they've been around they've done it all they've had so many they've made classic records they've made so many records they've switched their genre they've had number one records they've sold out arena tours like they've they've done it all they're an incredible band amazing band have not had a member change friends since high school. It's it's a it's a crazy scenario. They're crazy. And so they've done it all over the over the past couple years. And one thing that they never really had was radio success. And radio success is such a it's such a different world to me. Like some stuff that I do has success on the radio, but it's never it's never something that I think about. Like I've never made a song and to be like, oh, this is going to like do well on the radio because I don't, I don't know what that means. And I feel like I would just be wasting my time if I did that. And so they had tried to do some of that and it hadn't worked out the way that they wanted to. So they wanted to make this record last year and they were like, they were like, we're just going to get a bunch of our friends and we're just going to rent a house in Palm Springs for a month. And we're just going to set up a studio in a closet and just go in the pool and write songs and make a record with our friends and just have a good time and have the whole band living there for a month. And this is something that they, they hadn't done in like over 10 years, had, had the band living under the same roof recording together. They hadn't done that in forever. And so I was like, okay, cool. So that was like the first step of me being like, I want to take my exact studio to this house in Palm Springs and it needs to be like a small setup. So I just brought my computer and my Apollo and a couple guitars, my Kemper and an SM7B. And that's, that's pretty much it. And we made this record 
It was me, them, and then another amazing producer. His name's Andrew Goldstein, super good friend of mine. He worked on a couple songs with us too. And also our friend Kevin and our friend Phil. And so it was just the band and all their friends. And we made a record kind of for fun. And this week we've had the the single of it has had 10 weeks at number one on alternative radio Ten. which is crazy because like they, they yeah they they made that record with the intent of like we're not trying for radio we just want to make a record that we love that our fans are gonna love with our friends in a house with no gear whatsoever and it's their biggest one they've ever had the thing about no gear is really is the way of the future. I agree. It's crazy because, yeah, every time, you know, Will Will Putney is such a good friend of mine and we text all the time. And every time I watch videos of his stuff, I'm like, oh man, I, I want to buy gear so bad. Like I want gear so bad. And I was literally texting him last night and I was like, dude, your videos are making me want to buy gear so bad. And he's like, I wish I could do this stuff without the gear. <laughs> Dude, I think he doesn't need it. I think he just likes it. Yeah, yeah. And that's like... It's fun. You know as well as I that he could mix in the box and it would still sound incredible. Yeah. It's crazy for me because I've tried so many times. You know, I've tried to buy around this room. I have bus compressors, summing mixers, there's different gear that I've bought over the years and I've just never been able to like make it work like I always try and then I always just wind up being like back in the box and I'm like I don't know but yeah like the like yeah I I work in the box and yeah I, I do think that it's that it is the way of the future and so I'm happy that I've been able to figure out a way of doing it that works for me and sounds good do you think it's a generational thing as in you grew up in this era where in the box technology was already a thing. Yeah, totally. As opposed to people who grew up when it didn't exist. And so they're kind of psychologically tied to that old way of doing things for better or for worse. And it's not like it's bad or something. Yeah. But they just can't let it go for whatever reason. And you never, I mean, I know you worked in places that had it, obviously, but you come from a generation where the world had already kind of moved on. So you don't have those shackles. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think it's just whatever you're comfortable with and whatever inspires you and whatever you're good at using and helps you. Like, I I literally make stuff sound worse when I use, like, not in the box stuff. <laughs> like it, it literally turns out worse. But yeah, when I started, I started messing around on the computer and doing stuff in, like, 2008, 2009 is when I started. And in the box technology was pretty decent at that point. Yeah, it was already pretty good. Yeah. And also dance music and stuff was on the come up and that was a huge thing for a while. And all those people were completely in the box too. So I think that was that was a part of it for sure. But yeah, it's yeah, it's the same thing for me. Like I can't make an analog compressor sound as good as I can make in in the box compressor sound. I've tried so many times. I just, I can't do it for some reason. Whereas like some of these, like people that grew up working with gear, it's probably the opposite for them. They just, they love the gear and, and they know how to use it. And that's how it is. Yeah. A lot of them say that it doesn't feel like mixing to them if they're not physically touching something and turning a knob. Yeah. I totally get that. I totally understand that. And I've tried it. And it doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just it's just the way that I came, you know, I came up working on a laptop in a bedroom and that's what I've gone back to. And I like it. 
it seems to me too that part of what is working for you is understanding what works for you. Where I think a lot of people kind of might have a certain tendency, but feel like it's not correct to do things that way. And so they won't just go with it. Where it seems like, you know, that that's how you work best. So you're just going with it and it's working. Yeah. Efficiency is a huge part of my workflow. So I, I utilize the, to get technical for a second, I utilize a lot of the UAD stuff and like the way that their console is with the preamps and the compressors on that console. I've spent time to learn how I, what I like on the way in with that kind of stuff. There's just so many times that I want to buy gear and stuff, but in the back of my mind, like, I just know that A, it's going to be expensive and B, like, ultimately it's going to slow down my workflow. Like, even if maybe I can find a way to make something better, something like it's going to slow down my workflow, which is going to be less time for me to work or do other stuff, which ultimately is going to be bad. And that's what my girlfriend tries to remind me. Like every time we're sitting on the couch and I'm on sweet water, like looking at a summing mixer, she's like, don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) So she knows. Yes. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low-end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. Can we talk about Poppy for a second? Yeah. Awesome. That shit is nuts. She's an anomaly. Again, I've I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of amazing artists and she is she's unlike any other artist that I've worked with. She's just built herself in such a way that she can do literally anything and it will make it sense. It fits. Yes, literally anything. There's not a single band that 
can do that. Like Mr. Bungle, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Not a, not a single band in this, in our current generation, I guess. Nope. She can put out any kind of music and have the ability to not piss off her fan base in the way that another band that wants to switch their style up will risk losing a large part of their fan base. She just, she doesn't have that in the way that she's built herself. And it's like, it's brilliant and it's crazy. What's your role? Yeah, just producing and writing songs and just kind of doing what I do with everyone. She likes me because I come from a metal background and so she likes a lot of that stuff. So she likes me for for the metal riffs and just making stuff sound heavy. Trying to at least. (laughs) How do you take an artist like that that's got such a crazy ass vision that's so basically unique and stay on task with it like when it's going in eight million different directions we're both like super focused people so when we're in the studio it's kind of in it just working and a way that we found to do things is we just kind of make again this wouldn't this wouldn't work with really any other artist but we kind of can make certain minute long like mini songs like you know maybe one's like a metal song and then one's Mm -hmm. like a beach boys type thing and then one's like a trap thing and just all these like little mini songs that have hooks within them and they could be different keys different tempos whatever and then just figuring out how to transition in and out of them that sometimes it's real sometimes it kind of makes sense and sometimes it's really jarring but usually that 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 kind of is a workflow that or that at least worked for her last record which is called i disagree that's that's kind of what we did on a lot of the songs so yeah there are there are songs that are more like like the title track called i disagree it's it's a bit more of a cohesive um thing which i hope to pursue with her in the future um like a little bit less of the sporadic kind of thing but for that record yeah it was a lot of like let's make these kind of mini songs and just like make people's heads spin that was the goal well it worked so (laughs) it definitely worked yeah cool i mean you know i feel like bring me the horizon also kind of inhabit that space where maybe not in the span of one song like they don't hit like four genres in one song but you kind of never know what genre they're going to do next. Yeah. And I know that some people seem to not like it, but overall, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. They're so amazing in so many ways. One of the biggest things with them too is that they, and I find I find this to be common with a lot of artists that have a similar trajectory as they have, is that I'm sure there's a part of them that cares what people think because like there's a part in all of all of us with that, but they they really just want to make music that they think is cool that they like and then put it out there and i i'm a huge i'm a huge proponent of doing that and yeah the stuff that they like and that they're good at making just people happen to really like it a lot because it's so sick but yeah they they really like they really make music that that they love so that's something that I definitely preach again. Like you have to be kind of smart about it and you have to, it can't be like a big, long 20 minute thing of noise, unless you're poppy or something. I actually think she did do that at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I'm um, sure she could do that. That's the driving force. Again, you know, I work with Tom Morello a lot on his solo music and stuff and we're good friends. And that guy, like 
he doesn't care what anybody thinks. Like he just wants to make something that like that gets him off that he thinks is, is dope. And like, it's just, it makes it so much more fun. And I just, I always think that your audience is able to tell when you were trying to make something that will be successful versus when you're doing something that you actually think is cool. Have you had that experience of working with artists where they're doing something and you know it's just because they're checking off boxes? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I've done enough of that in the past, whereas when I kind of see that happening these days, I will make an effort to shut it down in one way or another because I just, I know that it's not smart. I've seen it, enough bands like fail from doing that, at least for what the, what I do and the kind of music that I like and the kind of music that I can help people make. I just, I'm not into that. It, like if you're making something that you don't even really like that much that you think other people might like, I don't know. How can, how can you expect people to like it if, if you don't even like it? That's, that's something that I think. It's such a gamble too, because if you're trying to make stuff that people will like, well, it's impossible to make something that everyone's going to like. Yeah. So. Yeah. Some people are not going to like it no matter what. And you can't even guess who those people are going to be. So it's kind of kind of a dumb thing to even try, in my opinion. A hundred percent. Making music, it's, it's such a weird thing because it's like, yeah, like you ha- you build up this fan base that love what you do and love you for what you do. But at the same time, you want to grow and make new fans and you want to expand your sound and not always do the same thing. You know, it's it's just like it's such a hard thing. And like inherently you're gonna there are gonna be a couple records where like artists are gonna like go too far or experiment too much or like go in the wrong direction and it's not gonna work out. But that's okay. They're all learning experiences and as long as they kinda keep on and persevere from that, um, yeah, I think I think it's gonna be okay. It's it's just, you know, it's such a hard Making music is is freaking hard, man. It's like there's I always think about like whenever I'm like creating a song with someone, it's like at the end of the day, like that song did not exist at the beginning of the day. And now there's this new thing in the world that that didn't exist. And like, that's kind of cool. Pulling things out of thin air, basically. Yeah, literally. It's like sit down and make a song like it's just it's like it's a weird thing. Where did it come from? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know. What do you do? Speaking of writing songs, uh, what do you do on the days when nothing's happening? I mean, you're getting paid to work, but yeah, it's just shitty. When we're not making something that's good. Yeah, and no one's feeling it. Yeah, I uh, start something else, switch the vibe up. That's that's something. Usually, yeah, when we're making a song, okay, if we don't like it, like either we'll see it through and finish it and then it's like, okay, that we don't like that. We're not going to use that, which is fine. Or it's like if everyone's just really not feeling it, then we'll just either take a break or we'll start something else. Or if I'm working with a band that we already have other things to do, then we'll like work on another idea that we have that we do like or something. So there, there's always, there's always something to do. Or just take a break and go home, like if everyone's really burnt out. <laughs> Sometimes that's the move. Yeah, it, yeah, that can very much be the move. But yeah, I think just like if no one's if no one's vibing what you're working on, then just stop and do something else. Whether that be taking a break, whether that be starting another idea or working on something else, like yeah, just don't do it. So when 
you're faced with an artist who has a track record, right? Like you just, like you just said, they build up an audience over time, but they're coming to you and they want to do something completely different, like a total left turn. Does it worry you at all that you could be the dude associated with them dropping a nuke on their career? Absolutely. It does. And thankfully that doesn't really, I don't, I don't really find myself in that situation too much, but I have found myself in that situation in the past. And honestly, like I'm not a big fan of being in that situation and I will have conversations with them at length about what they want to do. And then we will get in and start making stuff. And, um, if I, if I don't think it's good, like I will straight, like, First of all, it's their thing at the end of the day. Yeah, it's my name on the record, but like it's their record. So like at the end of the day, artist artist always wins. Artist can always do what they want to do. Like I am I am very big on that and I truly mean that. That being said, you know, if I'm not feeling something or I think something is going in the wrong direction, I can be like, you know, I don't know if this sits very well with me or you know we might be missing an opportunity by doing this or like you know I I have certain things I can do to steer things into a direction when they're not going the right direction and if none of that works and I think that this is a situation that I rarely find myself in but sometimes I do if, if something is really going in the wrong direction and the artist really wants to do it and I'm not feeling it I'll I'll straight up tell them that like I I think it sucks like I have said that to people in the past before and like it has caused arguments. You kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a last resort. Like that's after I've exhausted like all the other options and, and stuff. And that can cause hurt feelings that can cause like people to walk out of the room for sure. But people sometimes just need to hear it. I think sometimes. And again, this, this, this is a rare thing, but like it does happen sometimes where it is my job. And if I tell them that I think it sucks and they disagree with me and they still want to do it. They're the artist. They win. Like, and that, that's completely fine, but yeah, it does happen. And then you get cases like machine gun Kelly. Yeah. Machine gun Kelly. Again, that's, that's a project that I'm not that involved in. I I've been very fortunate to like work on a couple songs with him, but he has really like done great things for rock music. In my opinion, bottom line, he brought the album back. He brought back guitars, bass, and drums and making it cool again. He brought back kids wanting to play guitar again. He he completely did a 180 on his genre, and he's bigger than he's ever been. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's it's wild. I can't... Off the top of my head, I just... I can't think of, like, someone in the modern age that has done that the way he has. It is wild, but good for him. I just when I think of things like that, I think of Garth Brooks and Chris Gaines. I don't know if you mm-hmm. if you're aware of that one. Hit me. You don't want to be. <laughs> just look up Chris Gaines. Garth okay. Brooks had a, a decided to have an alter ego at one point named Chris Gaines. Okay, and he had like I I'm trying to remember, but it was kind of like swoopy long hair. Okay, and he was kind of like alternative rock kind of. It okay. failed fucking miserably oh man miserably it was so awkwardly weird yeah it's scary honestly what it comes down to for an artist to switch up their total thing and like be successful the songs have to be undeniable the songs have to be 
the songs have to be great. The songs have to be amazing. In my opinion, Machine Gun Kelly has been around for a long time. He's been at this. He works super, super hard. Personally, his new stuff is my favorite, like, music that he's ever released. His old, his old stuff, there's, like, I, I love a lot of that, too. His new stuff, I just, I, I think there's just, it's the perfect combination of of him changing his sound and like the personality that he is and just everything it's it's just like this perfect storm of elements that has created what he's doing now and yeah he had a number one record and he's like one of the biggest artists in the world right now and so yeah good for him but yeah it's just it's this perfect storm of everything that he does that created that but with with great music as well so a, a lot of the times when artists it say like say like a rock artist wants to go pop, a lot of the times the music is underwhelming. It's just not undeniable. It's just not that great. It, it can sound like C grade pop songs a lot of the time. Whereas like he was like, yeah. I want to I want to go rock. So he got Travis to produce it, and like Travis, you know, he's like a god at that kind of stuff. Like he he knows everything. So like they made a great record, and it did well. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, uh, also, a lot of times when bands that have only done screaming start singing, I think that it's not that there's anything wrong with singing. It's that they're just not good at it. Yes. And so it doesn't sound good. And they're not good melodies or good lyrics or good choruses or whatever. And that's why it doesn't do well. Yeah, totally, totally agree, 100%. If you're going to switch it up and do something, like, you better be amazing at it otherwise like because like if you're just okay or like if you're not that good at it then like it's gonna suck <laughs> like honestly yeah and so well, yeah, keep I'm, trying yeah yeah yeah, keep yeah trying yeah. to get better yes 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 keep yes keep trying but yeah it's it's a hard thing to do but yeah props to him man that is crazy so a lot of people attempt to break down songs and create a structure and anatomy to songwriting but you mentioned that certain Producers like Nick Mira, like you really admire their mental acuity and feel like there's something to really look at. What do you think uh, is the differentiating factor with a producer like Nick versus the majority of his peer group? Like, why are you so into his stuff? Nick is, he's super inspiring to me because he's a freak. Again, he just uses his laptop and he cre he can create this simple beat with like an 808 and like a kick drum and like an incredible melody and like this really interesting sound in like five minutes. And like a lot of the times it's just like, it can be like a, like a, like an eight bar or like 16 bar loop, but just the way, the way his ear is developed for rhythm and melody and sonics and like what's like new and fresh. It's like, he's taking like the most simple possible tools that you can have and just creating these massive songs about them in like in an instant which like it's crazy yeah he yeah he's a freak so he like he just he inspires me because like just how fast he works and like the output of like amazing stuff that he's able to do and that that just it you know it it comes down to the fact that he's just he's so musical like he just he has great taste for sounds and like he has like an amazing amazing ear for melody which is like at, at the level that he does it it's it's so rare so he's someone that that i can learn a lot from yeah 
Seems like uh, you really admire speed, efficiency, minimalism, and uh, simplicity when done well. Obviously. Yeah, I think I think simplicity is the key. The thing is that it's really easy to, it's really easy for simplicity to be boring. So finding ways to make simplicity interesting is is what excites me. So like so so Nick like working with him is it kind of has applies to my workflow in the sense that I kind of try to do what he does but in in more of like a rock sense, like with like with live drums and live instruments and live vocals and stuff. And no, I, I don't make us, I don't work nearly as quickly as he does, but you know, we can like, we can make like a, a finished sounding song in a day from scratch and make it sound like cool. You know, I've, I've done that many times before, but yeah, just finding ways to keep people inspired and to just capture great ideas and just like, and just do it quickly that yeah that excites me like when when i when i sit down with a band and we're like making a song from scratch like i want to listen to that song later that night like i don't want to have to wait like weeks to like listen to that song like like i just want to hurry up and like go in my car and like blast that song so i just kind of want to finish it as soon as possible you know and i know i know the band does as well so yeah that's a part of it what do you think is a bigger challenge working on complex music or really good simple music it's it's interesting that's a really tough question honestly i think complex music takes more time to do like working with a technical metal band takes way longer like if you have like a technical metal more song. notes yeah yeah exactly it's like if it's like four minutes long and like not that many parts repeat and there's like really intricate guitar parts and drum parts that all need so much love that's going to take a, a long time versus like making a song where making a two and a half minute song where the choruses are flown and, and the beats are really simple. You could get that done in a few hours, but having that be having that be good and more interesting than the technical song is probably harder. I think I agree. I think simplicity done right is the most difficult thing. It's almost like you can hide behind complexity. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I totally agree with that. That's interesting. But yeah, there, there's just there's something that fascinates me about having something that's efficient and simple and fast and amazing. Like, yeah, to go to go back to um, to Nick again. Like, he produced you know lucid dreams by juice world is an example of a song that he produced and he probably made the beat in like 10 minutes and juice probably freestyled or like sung that song like so quickly and it was like this huge massive song that was amazing and like that i just think i think that's so cool tell me what you think about this speaking of people who do stuff in five minutes 10 minutes or even a day for a song which is quick given the genre have you noticed that there's this tendency among producers, artists to uh, feel like they didn't really do any work. Therefore, what they did isn't valid if they move too quickly. Absolutely. 100%. A part of the reason that I like to move so quickly too is because I feel like a lot of, a lot of the best stuff comes out the quickest. Like if someone goes in the booth and freestyles 
and they're and they're good. Their like best, most interesting melodies might come out of the first or second take because they either like they weren't thinking about it or like the headphone mix was weird or or something. They were just you know, it's just exciting and they're just like running on adrenaline. Whereas like if they sit and pick at it for too long, then it can kill the song instantly. I see that happen all the time. Does that answer your question? What was the question again? <laughs> it does because it's like they won't take what they just did seriously if they did it quickly. I feel that that's a part of my job to let them know like, no, like this, it's okay. this is yeah. sick. Yeah, this is like, this is cool. Like this is dope. Like, yeah, again, it it doesn't happen. You don't write an amazing song in 20 minutes every day. Like that, that, that happens once in a while. That does not happen every day. I think it it's a lot more with the artists that have been around for a long time that they feel like they have to spend a really long time on their stuff for it to be good. They just, they just feel like they have to, but that's really not the case. That approach does work for people. Like, 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 I don't know exactly how long the bring me the horizon guys take to make a song, but, I, but I think they spend like a really, really long time on their stuff. But like, that's a case where like it works extremely well and it comes out really amazing because yeah, they're able to like experiment and do all this, all this different stuff. Whereas like with certain artists, it can kind of just, it can, if you overanalyze what it is, it can kind of just, it can kind of kill it. So yes, I, I think certain artists have a tendency to think that they need to spend a really long time on something for it to be good. And I used to work with this mixer who's really good, who would get stuff done in 45 minutes. Like, and the mixes would sound great in 45 mm -hmm. minutes. I mean, maybe they mm -hmm. needed some automation or whatever, or mix notes after, but for the most part, they'd be 90% done, like sendable wow. to the band. Wow. However, he would wait a week uh, because he got fired off a couple mixes after sending them back in 45 minutes or an hour because the band thought that he was just fucking around. Wow. And they sounded great. Wow. They sounded great. So... So he started, he had developed this policy of just waiting a few days or a week and then sending them and bands never had a problem. Wow. Okay. That, okay. That's smart. That's that. Wow. That's crazy. Psychologically. That's smart. I've, I, I have done that where I finished something in like two or three hours and then I've waited like a day to send it. But wow, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I could, I could see that though. Like I could see the band being like, you only spent like this long on this. And yeah, I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, that's probably why you waited, right? Yeah. So same thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I even find that with myself, like if I'm like mixing or like doing something, like a lot of the times I'll go back to what I had three hours ago and like, it's better than what I'm doing now because I just, I feel like I have to spend longer on it or something totally like happens to me every day. Do you think it's because the initial inspiration is the purest or something not blocked by conscious thought for the most part? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there is, and that, that part of doing anything creative is so important in my opinion, just that initial like thing that you do. And there is, there is a part of the process that is the refinement and the trying different things and the, the fixing up of things. But yes, that, that initial spark moment is just, is so important with making anything excited, I think. Is part of the reason that your setup is so efficient kind of designed in order to be able to capture those or yeah, totally not lose them when they're happening? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, like my thing is that I've just spent so many years dialing 
bass tones, vocal settings, guitar tones, drum things, and like that are constantly evolving that I just have this like this system that I can make something sound like a finished song like almost kind of instantly and that inspires bands I think because that way like they can hear their ideas like brought to life to to a pretty final form like really fast and that way they're able to tell like if something is good and and awesome and they want to pursue it or like if it just if it doesn't sound that great because there's so many times where bands will like write a song and and like they'll, they're like, this is amazing. Like, this is cool. But they'll just like write it on acoustic guitar or something. And then like they'll come into the studio three months later and we'll actually like produce the song out. And it's like doesn't turn out quite as good as like everyone thought it was going to be. So I think just just having like the instant ability to just hear things in a kind of finished form really quickly. Yeah, helps people figure out what they like and what they don't like faster. Matt Good was telling me that that's what he does too. Mm -hmm. Have it sound as finished as possible right from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's, Matt's awesome. I've spent, we're good friends and yeah, we've like worked out of the same studio building a couple times while we've had certain projects going on. And yeah, he's like, he's super fast at making like this, making like an intricate song in like a couple hours. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. He's crazy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably the same exact mentality. You know, I I feel like uh, kind of the old school thing is to hear things shitty and assume that they're going to get better. Like you used to be able to send A&R guys, for instance, rough, just rough, shitty mixes, and they supposedly could understand that it was going to be good. And bands were used to hearing unmastered quiet mixes with weird drum levels and just assume that it's going to sound huge and balanced <laughs> later or pre-pro was okay to sound like shit knowing that it's just pre-pro it's going to sound good later whereas now I think a lot of dudes that are doing current stuff and doing real well have the attitude of make it sound incredible from the start like don't wait to make it sound incredible do it now yeah Totally, totally. That's that's so funny. Yeah, I've always like, you know, I, I know of those days and stuff, but I never lived through a time like that. I would love to like... It was real. <laughs> I would love I would love to like be there for a second just to see what that was like because that sounds kind of nice. Like everyone was used to moving at like a bit of a slower pace, which is cool. It was stressful though because you'd be working on a mix and you wouldn't know if it's if it's going to be good or not because it's going to change so much when it went to the mastering guy and the bands didn't know either. Like nobody knew. So it was kind of like you never have this feeling of, yeah, this is done. Wow. Yeah, this is sick. Like, it's like, yeah, I think it's okay. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. But we're going to have to wait. That's so wild. Yeah, the the world has the world has definitely changed since then. And people like, people expect stuff to sound like really good really fast these days yeah also another thing that was not cool about it was you had to explain things to people like so this doesn't sound very good but just imagine it like this and yeah. obviously <laughs> how are they going to imagine what you're saying verbally yeah they can't so now you just show it to them the way it's supposed to sound and either they feel it or they don't yeah Totally. I am not a big fan of like explaining something to someone before I show it to them. Like, like I always kind of want 
the song or whatever it is to like to speak for itself. Sometimes it, it helps to if if I have an A and R or something here to explain the thought process that went into something. But a lot of the times, like my goal is to just make something so cool or what or good that th- my this doesn't happen every day. But but my goal is to just make something that's so sick that when we play it for anyone that they just get it from hearing it rather than us having to explain it. Yeah, that's a good goal. Yeah. <laughs> and so again, that's, that's, that, that's worthy. That, that's not always the case, but that, but yeah, that's, that's what I, what I try to shoot for kind of. When you're working with artists and you have to float an idea to them, do you kind of take the same approach of just getting it down first rather than trying to explain it to them? Or how do you, how do you navigate that? When it's like a left turn or something. It depends who it is. I find that it it can definitely help to explain where an idea is coming from. Like if you're laying down some clean guitar part in a verse and you can tell the band's not vibing it and you're like, oh, but like it sounds kind of like this Cure song. And then all of a sudden everyone's on board because everyone loves the Cure. I find that I find that explaining things in that context can be very helpful. I would like to have that not be the case and just have people able to be of the same mindset all the time. But that's not really realistic for me. So, I mean, obviously situationally dependent kind of thing, but say you have an idea that you feel very strongly about and uh, you know that it might be met with resistance, but you feel really, really strongly about it. Will you just do it and be like, check this out or hold on a second, let me try something. Yeah, I will do it and present it and... If everyone hates it, first of all, like it doesn't hurt my feelings, like that's fine, but so be it. Yeah. I'm not going to fight tooth and nail for someone to do something because they're probably going to end up hating it at the end of the day. And that's the last thing I want is like for someone to hate their own music. I will present ideas and fight for them when need be, but I'm never going to like force someone to be like, you have to sing this song. And like, it has to be like this because from my experience, I've just, I've never seen that end well, really. I don't think it does end well, but I know that there's some artists who, if you tell them an idea, like verbalize it, they're not going to be down. But if you show it to them, then there's a possibility they'll be down. Yeah, that that happens all the time. That happens all the time. If it's like, oh, what if the bridge went to like a minor part here if the song's like major and everyone's like, I don't know, it might be too dark. And then you actually play it in and it sounds sick and everyone's like, cool. That happened just the other day. I was working on this song and the, the song was... It was just a, it was a dope song and it was just a guitar and a vocal and it, it sounded cool. In my mind, I was like... I don't think this song should be a stripped down thing. Like I, sh- I think this should be like an opus, like a big, a big rock song. So I was like, what if we went rock for the last chorus? What if we went, the whole song was stripped down and we went full band for the last chorus and ev- and then we did it and it sounded great. And everyone's like, oh, that's sick. And I'm like, all right, what if we made the bridge kind of where the band comes in? So the, so the band comes in rocking for the bridge and last chorus. Oh, that's cool. And then I'm like, all right, what if we like, <laughs> I, just, I was like the Trojan horse that I was able to like sneak in. I was like, what if we made like the intro, like a rock thing and the verse had live drums and then like it turned into like a, a really cool song because of that. So sometimes, sometimes I have to take that approach. Yeah. Slowly cooking them. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. 
But you think that like if you had just said we should put drums under the whole thing from the get go, they were like, "Fuck no." Yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they and they were still opposed until I made um, until I made it and showed it to them, and then they were down. And again, that's 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 the good advantage of being able to do stuff quickly too. Is that we were I was able to make something to show them in in about like five to ten minutes in they were in so by make you mean just program some drums kind of thing yeah program some drums play some guitars play some bass just get a feel for what it's going to be yeah five ten minutes though that's fast as fuck <laughs> yeah we work pretty quick <laughs> that's great yeah i can imagine that if it was like hey come back in three hours it would be a lot harder to pull that kind of thing off well i mean yeah it wasn't like the keeper full Thing. It was just like, no, no, yeah. no, I know, but yeah. it's still five to 10 minutes to show a developed idea is fast. Yeah. Speed is not by any means the most important thing to me. I just like being able to be fast when I can be. I mean, obviously, speed without accuracy or without quality is bullshit, but when you combine them, it's awesome. Yeah. Making 20 songs in a week that all suck, like, that's obviously that's not good. You don't want that, but like No, make one that's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, but it's like but yeah, if you're able if you can make like a song in a day, I think is is pretty even a song a song in two days is is pretty fast, I think. And yeah, and I yeah, I just like being able to do that. Like like for instance, you know do you know the song X by Poppy? Have you heard that song? Yep. Pretty awesome. Yeah, that was that was one of our first explorations into metal. And that was made, bounced, and done for the CD, written everything in, in less than eight hours. <laughs> really? That, 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 that was a fast one. Like, that one just kind of came out pretty quickly. That's faster than it would normally take to make something like that. But yeah, that, that one was pretty quick. Do you think it's just because you guys have good chemistry and she's also a hyper-focused individual? And Yeah, and I, th I think it was because, like, the, like, the metal thing was so new at that time that it was kind of like anything goes and we didn't have to really overthink anything. And it just kind of like flowed out because, because it was like, it was one of the first like metal songs that we made. So like the, the, it was kind of open to do whatever we wanted to do. So, yeah. Makes sense. So I think it's kind of easy to get labeled as the rock guy or the metal guy, you know, a lot of dudes that we know who do that super well also complain about being typecast. I mean, they love it, yeah. but at the same time, they they acknowledge that doing other genres that would kind of have to start, not at the beginning, but they'd have to take significant steps back. But uh, you've taken a pretty interesting approach to branching out from the beginning, because obviously you come from the same world that we all do. You come from the heavy world, but uh, mm -hmm. you've successfully gone beyond it. Uh, can you talk a bit about how you've incorporated pop production and other genres in your work and how you see that evolving? So I love aggressive music. I love live guitars. I love live drums. I, I love bands, like is what I love. And that's what I grew up listening to the most. My skills are honed in that department more so than anything else kind of it comes down to i learned i learned so much from working for john feldman about how to incorporate pop production into 
into more rock kind of things. And I'm very much okay with being like, he makes alternative or rock leaning kind of stuff. Like I'm very much am okay with that because I love doing that kind of thing. So yeah, it's an interesting question. To be specific, I use a lot of synth basses. I use, I do a lot of vocal effects. I layer up vocals a lot. I use drum and guitar sounds that I've created that no one else has so that it sounds different than things that other people do. A lot of it comes from the songwriting as well, that a lot of the songs that I work on are inherently pop songs that happen yep. to to be rocked up. Like, I think that's like a super important part of it. But yeah, it's, it's kind of... I'm trying to think of an example. Okay, so the song Monsters by All Time Low that they have right now, which is featuring Black Bear. So that song was a co-production between myself and my friend Andrew Goldstein. And that song was really awesome because they demoed the song out with Andrew this one night for like a couple hours. And Andrew does a lot of... He does a lot a lot of more pop-leaning stuff than I do, and he's, like, super amazing at it. Like, he's done, like, all Black Bear stuff. I think he's done, like, Demi Lovato and Hot Chill Ray and a lot, of, a lot of things like that. And so they demoed out this song with him, and the song was amazing, and they just wanted it to be rocked up a little bit more. So Andrew had made this, essentially, like, this pop track, and he shot me over all his stems, and then I put on, you know, like, live drums, live guitar, live bass, like, everything, and I just layered them with his pop drums and his pop synths and and all of his kind of sounds, and it just kind of created this interesting blend between... It's literally, like, a rock producer's production on top of a pop producer's production. And then it wound up being an alternative song. So like kind of in the middle. So that that's kind of the approach that I tend to take to some of that stuff is I just, I, I'll just layer like pop stuff on top of rock stuff. It sounds like it's not overthought. Yeah, not, yeah, not really. But, I, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm way better at doing rock stuff than I am doing pop stuff. So I love finding I love co-producing stuff with other producers that have different skill sets than I do because we're we're usually able to create something that's pretty cool and unique, I think. You know, what's interesting is, you know, earlier in the episode, you said that you're kind of a one-man show, but for being a one-man show, it seems like you really do love collaborations. Yes, I do love collaborating. I just love having someone to be able to bounce ideas off of or someone that can do something different than I can do. Yeah. Is usually, usually is, is cool. Yeah. I, I do like doing that. I'm a one man show in the sense of like, you know, like I don't have like a mix assistant or something like that when I do so much mixing, but when I'm actually producing a band, it doesn't happen all the time, but yeah, I love, I love being able to bring in like an outside co-writer or like an outside producer that can do something that I can't do that can help us create this more interesting product. So speaking of outside influences and stuff that other producers are doing, you know, for a while, I feel like in pop and hip hop, there was a strong, and I mean, it's still there, but there was a strong, strong push uh, towards electronic music. Like those worlds were definitely coming together. Um, But now you're starting to see more organic instruments and alternative influences in modern pop and hip hop and also rock artists starting to 
incorporate stuff from hip hop and pop. Like, how are you seeing that manifest with your clients? First of all, I love that music is going in the direction of that because now there's more artists that are coming to me that are like, I want to mix, I want to edge it up. Like, I want to make some rock stuff. I want to do live drums. I want to do live guitars. And that's your shit. Yeah, exactly. So like, so that's really exciting to me. So yeah, first of all, it's really cool that there's all these, this whole scene of rock bands that I work with or that I have worked with that a couple years ago, they might've been trying to lean more into the pop realm and to lean less on guitars and less on what they're good at and try to do something else because that's what the times were. But now it's shifting the, it's shifting the opposite direction where people are trying to do more of that stuff. So for, for like rock rock acts that I produce, they're trying to lean more into what they're good at and what they do with just like a, like a 20% of modern flair, which it, which that excites me a lot. So again, like it, like we could do like a rock production, but we can do some cool synths or some cool synth basses or stuff that makes sense that will support the rock band, but that doesn't sound like overdone. And then on the other end, yeah, you have like machine gun kelly who just wants to go like straight rock band even though he's a super like mainstream artist which is which is super cool to me i feel like one of the great side benefits or maybe not a side benefit one of the direct benefits of the streaming era is that the walls between genres aren't nearly as high as they used to be which is great yeah totally and like even even more so now than ever, like there was just, there was such a long time when I first moved to LA where it was like no guitars, no live drums, like none of this, blah, blah, blah. And that was disheartening for me because I was trying to learn how to make hip hop beats and how to do that kind of stuff. And I, I'm just not, I'm just not wired for that. Like I can't, I just don't have that in me. And so now that the pendulum is kind of swinging the opposite direction, that really excites me. And I think that's really cool. And yeah, I think people just want to make, you know, from 2010 to 2020, so much amazing music. You had like Lord and you had Post Malone and you have Billie Eilish and like all this like really awesome music. Um, but it, it was a little more of like a, like a, chill decade for music i think and now that we're kind of entering into this new decade like people want to make as opposed to like 2000 to 2010 where you had like Katy perry and like these people with these anthems and like these massive like banger songs like i think heading into this new decade people are people want to make like more traditional bangers again which i think is sick i think you're noticing that in heavy music too yeah yeah, like I feel like uh, 2000 through 2010, there was just like this, this like explosion of awesome bands. And it's not that there haven't been cool bands in the past 10 years, but it kind of tapered off a little. Um, and now I'm starting to hear awesome stuff come back. That's awesome. Little by little. Like I, I have a few theories as to what it is. Like I think that because everybody thought the music industry was going to implode and disappear, kind of like around 2009, 2010, a lot of talented people just checked out. Not everyone, obviously, but a lot did. A lot of people just jumped ship. But now it's doing well again. It's been doing well for a little while. And I think there's more and more talented people working and taking it seriously again. 
Yeah, it's it's so interesting too cuz like you have cuz like trap was such a huge thing especially from like 2015 to 2020 and like that was like very similar to like the punk movement in my opinion because you had all these kids that were yeah like making beats on their laptops but they didn't know you know I'd be in the room with these kids and like they didn't know like what the word chorus meant or what what a verse was but or like what a b section was but they had these like amazing or they had they had these chart topping songs that were like crazy with like no knowledge of making music and it was just pure raw energy and i i thought that was so cool and now it's kind of now people are kind of like making more traditional songs again like i don't know i I don't know like i don't know what the what causes the trends and and stuff but yeah it seems like people are definitely leaning back into making organic great songs again which it's a good thing yeah yeah that's like that's that's what i love that's what i like to do so so i'm stoked well zach i think this is a good place to end the podcast i want to thank you for coming on it's been awesome catching up likewise thanks so much for having me it's so much fun okay then Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook, Instagram, or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALEVY URM Audio. And of course, please tag my guests as well. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.